Hi, this is Chet Czar. Welcome to another episode of the Dark Art Society podcast. I am your host. Today we have an excellent interview with my old art buddy, Chris Cooksey. Now you know Chris Cooksey uh, from his incredible Baroque sculptures, kit bash sculptures, kind of. You you know his work, if even if you don't know his name, but you probably do know his name. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> I've been wanting to have him on the podcast from day one, pretty much. He's been on the list, so very cool to finally get him on, and we had a really fun conversation. Perfect, perfect episode for Thanksgiving, really. It's a little, it's a little special because Chris is a little special. So, um, yeah. Let's see what's been going on with me. You know, I've been knuckling down and uh, waking myself up at five in the morning and working on this book because I had a bunch of pen and ink illustrations to do for it, and you know, making progress. Making progress is taking longer than I, as the whole process has taken longer. But you don't want to hear me talk about that again. Uh, but I am working on it, getting things done. Just finished a whole bunch of pen and ink, you know, like uh, 15 or 20 pen and ink illustrations. It came out really well. And um, today I'm going to finish up some some other Photoshop stuff for the book. And, uh, and then get ready for my sale on Friday. I'm going to have a Black Friday, Cyber Monday sale or whatever i gotta get these mystery boxes ready because mystery boxes are coming as well as a print release for my melt painting from the, the one of the tool posters i did um and yeah i think those are the two big things but i gotta get a bunch of new items for the mystery boxes because i really want to change them up and have them be cooler than last year Anyway, um, if you uh, if you go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash chetzar, you can get, uh, you'll be notified before anybody else. You'll get the opportunity to buy things before anybody else, before the general public, for as little as a dollar a month. Also, if you want to be, uh, support the Dark Art Society podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash darkartsociety, and that goes to you can join for as little as a dollar a month and that goes towards supporting the podcast as well it wouldn't be happening without your support so um if you like the podcast you can support it for as little as a dollar a month on patreon or uh patreon.com slash dark art society anyway here's some new subscribers you also get your uh podcast early and you get your name read on the show like i'm gonna do right now here's new subscribers who just joined the Patreon. Uh, let's see. Rob Freitas upped his pledge. Thanks, Rob. I want to have Rob on the, the show soon. He's an amazing mold genius from my Rick Baker days. Um, okay, we've got Tony Garaldi Brown. Thank you for joining. Lee Petty and Joe Volan. Thank you for supporting. Couldn't do this show without your support. And, uh, yeah, you get in the Dark Art Society secret Facebook page and you get entry into the website 
which has all kinds of cool stuff happening. It's really a great community. The Dark Art Society is really uh, a great community. It's small, and everybody interacts and supports each, each other. It's pretty amazing, and it's growing. So come on in. All you got to do is pay $1 a month. That's $12 a year. That is really cheap. It's really cheap. That's like, what is that? That's 25 cents an episode. Anyway, um, I guess that's about it. Working on this book, getting up early, just trying to get things done before the holidays, getting ready for my sale. Yeah, that's it. Nothing exciting. Just, you know, grinding it out as usual. So let's get on with this interview. All right. I know you're going to love it. It's a really great one. Chris Cooksey. Here we go. Hope you enjoy it. Here it goes. It's just about to start right now. Hey, Chris. Hello. Hello. Hello again. We just said hello two seconds ago, but hello again (laughs) for the purposes of the people listening. Yeah, well, it's an honor. Thank you so much for asking me. The honor is is mine, man. Thanks for coming on. I mean, we go way back. I've been a fan of yours from way back, back like back in the old early days of the Internet. We used to talk online, right? Exactly. Yeah. Back when your your website was like had paintings, you know, that was kind of like the gallery. You had paintings and a few sculptures, too. It was like that was part of your you know repertoire back then my pre-cambrian era yeah my my jurassic park (laughs) (laughs) they're great though people i I don't think a lot of people realize what an amazing painter you are though i mean those paintings on there amazing yeah you know that was my thing that was my go to college get an art degree thing and um the whole sculpture thing just kind of hijacked everything it's kind of one of those um you know, you you force your ego on what you think you're gonna do, but right. it decides and yeah. chooses you. So, <laughs> you know, I didn't uh, put up too much of a fight. You know, so, well, I always wanted to build things, and that was, you know, that was me by nature, and so I, I was definitely happy to go in that direction. So yeah, yeah, I, I had a, a similar situation with music. Like I was, while I was working in makeup effects, I was trying, since I was like maybe 18, I was trying to make it in music, like be in a rock band or a punk band and make it, you know? And um, I did it for like 10 years and I tried really hard. I tried really hard and the bands were good. The music was good. It just was like the timing wasn't right. And eventually I was pointed to, um, you know, circumstances kind of led me to painting, which I never considered because my dad was a painter and he was, you know, the money was always up and down. We were completely broke or, you know, he got sold something and then it was like, oh, we got money. Oh, no, we're broke again. And it was just like my whole childhood was like that. So I never considered, really considered being a painter until way, you know, I was like 33 when I decided. And it was one of those things like, uh, as time went on, I'm so glad I didn't get, I wasn't a successful musician 
because so much changed right after that with like downloading the music industry totally changed and now with COVID right. especially like bands are kind of getting screwed not being able to play live and stuff so yeah it kind of all yeah. works out in the end if you're willing to follow the lead you know yeah exactly yeah it's interesting times and you know us artists we kind of seemed well adjusted to the uh current apocalypse so it's <laughs> We're, 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 we're adjusted to the apocalypse lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. That's what keeps coming up. It's like, you know, many of the people I talk to and myself included are just like, you know, not that much has changed for me like mm. as far as my lifestyle other than, you know, wearing a mask when you get groceries, but, and then, you know, wiping things down and stuff like that, washing your hands. But I'm, I'm solitary in the studio anyway, all the time been like yeah that forever I, so yeah i agree same here and i even kind of have i have a little bit of ocd you know mm -hmm. and so you know i kind of cringe like i do not like getting paint on my hands like oh <laughs> wash them and so you know if i go out jump back in the car oh hand sanitizer time yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i you know i don't really know your history i mean i know we we've like like i said we've talked for years we used to you know talk through email and stuff i think and maybe on forums or something um yeah. but i don't really know your like your childhood art experience you know like were you an art kid from the very beginning which i'm assuming probably yeah. <laughs> um yeah i was very artistic at such a young age now i grew up in rural America, Kansas. Wow. And so you can imagine like how very little actual art exposure I had. And so, uh, you know, and I was babysat by my grandmother. My mother had to work all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm and, from that era too. Yeah. And, mom. Latchkey kids. <laughs> yep. And, you know, having four television channels to yep. have access to. <laughs> You know, Sounds I funny, spent, no? yeah, I spent a great deal of time just trying to be creative. I would go outside a lot. It was in nature a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, my grandmother lived in a very rural area. There was a river nearby, so that was fascinating. There was an old barn that was falling apart, so wow. you could tell it was just sort of the right mix for, you know, developing an imagination and, you know... I had this kind of quasi spiritual spirituality with death and dying and, you know, just being around farm life coming across, uh, death in that sense was, right. you know, was, and then my mother getting involved in Catholicism, that was kind of a, an interesting mix that sort of spiritualism and death. And, mm -hmm. uh, of course I, came into Catholic guilt as well. So <laughs> natural body urges at a young male's life was definitely, yeah, you know, that. So <laughs> that fueled a lot of, uh, you know, ideas in my art and, you know, uh, trying to find channels of, you know, teenage rebellion. I found heavy metal ah. and, Iron Maiden was like my savior. <laughs> it's good for that. Yeah. And, 
Iron Maiden album covers were incredible. We just so, talked about that on the last episode. We were talking about the Iron Maiden album covers. Oh my god! Yeah, so Jared funny. Picks. Wow. Uh, so, you know, I would draw a lot. Uh, you know, in school, I kind of had a reputation that you know I was the artist. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, also kind of the black sheep as well, because. You know, my family, extended family, were just like as um, rural as all stereotypes could be. Wow. But, you know, I could have easily fallen into that. Mm -hmm. I could have easily, I would have no other influence or perspective to be anything different. But I just naturally couldn't follow that. Like, I had no inclination to have any kind of ill feelings towards any kind of group or race or any of that. Mm -hmm. And I had such empathetic heaviness just weighing on me in daily life. And so I think seeing what my mother went through with uh, abusive relationships and alcoholism, mm -hmm. uh, I never knew my father. My father was completely bacon in my life he uh couldn't uh accept that i was his child and oh, so God. you know living with that shadow you know it's just all big mixture of you know who i ended up being and yeah, yeah. That's, it's heavy uh, it's heavy yeah it is very heavy and you know in the year 2000 i met my father for the first time on his deathbed. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. So. Wow. That's intense. Yeah. So he lived in neighboring Missouri in a town called Humansville. <laughs> I go to Humansville, Missouri, where, uh, you know, I meet his wife, this lovely lady named Tony and, you know, some of his neighbors, you know, this is this. Yeah. Have you watched the show Ozark? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's where the setting is. Right. The Ozarks. Wow. And, you know, people wake up at 9 a.m. and start drinking. Wow. And playing the banjo. <laughs> I, seriously. <laughs> Tony would wake up, start drinking beer and playing the banjo. And we go to the hospital, this tiny hospital where my father's decaying and death and you know to to meet somebody who is your father for the first time right. as he's dying just hours before he dies like that's crazy was he conscious uh i you know he couldn't murmur things you know he would moan hearing him moan it sounded like my voice oh and my so god very creepy part yeah. you know i have some their brothers that experience more of that trauma of a father leaving them. Mm -hmm. so, but they had later reconnected with him. So, you know, they obviously had a different relationship with him than I did, you know, which was just, you know, the beginning and the end all at once. Yeah. I, I wonder which is worse. I wonder which was worse, yeah. not knowing I, him or having yeah. a relationship and then have, and then being left. Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah. Um, so it was a very big mixture of feelings, and it just amplified what was already there for me. Right. Um, 
I lost my grandmother in 83. I was 10 years old. Uh. So that was a big, um, you know, part of my life that, you know, dealing with, you know, someone is so close to and, it, you know, could talk to. And she her, herself was intelligent. She was smart enough to, you know, teach school. And but, you know, she chose the farm life, had 10 children. Wow. And um, she you supported know, so, you, right? Like your artwork, yeah. your creativity and stuff. Yeah. You know, she was, uh, you know, but she didn't understand Star Wars, you know, like <laughs> I was big into Star Wars, showing her all my action figures and their names. And <laughs> she would just sort of skull like, oh, that's just make believe. <laughs> <laughs> it's just make believe. That's cool. I mean, it's like it 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 doesn't take you don't have to understand it as like a, as like a caretaker or a parent or something. You just have to have like an open heart in a way, I think. You know what I mean? It's like I've known people that were not or I mean even like my parents, my or my mother and my my stepdad, even my biological dad, they were all cool with me doing monster stuff. I don't know that they necessarily understood it but they were cool with it it's like you don't have to understand it you just need to be okay with it you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah exactly um which you know thankfully my mother was oh good i had um you know other i had another stepfather who you know again fit the total rural narrow-minded kind of viewpoint alcoholic yeah. um you know he you know, he supported it, but when the idea of college came up, like, like, oh, I don't know about that. That's expensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and college was just like, oh, wow, this is my, this is my route to escape. Right. You know? Yeah. It must have been a shocking <laughs> difference. Yeah. And, you know, I just wanted to be around people who were enlightened and, you know, were positive. And, you know, my, my stepfather was very ignorant, very racist, very, uh, pro gun. You know, I would shoot him. I, I would see him shoot animals on property that we lived on. And, you know, it was just hard to, you know, have a conversation with him without imagine. triggering him or upsetting him. And Damn. so, yeah. So, you know, just, just to get away from that and go to college was a huge thing. And, you know, a couple of years into college, um, our art department sponsored a trip to Europe. And so there was about 20 of us in this art department that got to go to Europe. And that was a huge thing for me. That was the first time I was ever on an airplane. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, yeah, this is 1994. And here I am uh, in college. I like super long hair. <laughs> uh, and here I am in Europe and, that, wow, that trip, you know, I got to see real art, serious art, right. architecture. Yep. So we toured Amsterdam, down through Germany, and then down through Italy, and I was completely blown away. That must have been and, such a happy time for you. I imagine it must have been so exciting and fun. and. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And, um, you know, and around that time I started discovering, you know, artists that really, really influenced me, like Dali and Giger. Mm -hmm. 
had this friend in this painting class. He was like this metalhead guy. And he comes in one day with this book called Necronomicon 2. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just, my mouth was just open for yep. half an hour just staring at this like, oh my God, like, wow. You know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, finding your savior. That's, I mean, I had that same experience with Giger. Yeah. It's in the documentary. This guy made a documentary about me. There's it's, it was significant enough to where it's like, it's, it's in the stories of the documentary, but to me, it was like, I can't, it's like, I can't believe this is like something I've never seen. It's like, he's painting a place that exists. That's how I felt. Like, I can't believe how, and you have this kind of like intuitive sense that it's not, he's just not making up a bunch of junk. It's like, there's something more to it. I don't know what there is, but it's like, it seems real. It feels, it feels real and inspired somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was definite uh, influence on me and, um, you know, and I didn't feel like, uh, I didn't feel compelled to like, you know, have to copy him. Right. But it's like, I got it. Right. Like, Here's a guy who is courageous enough to express the weird, dark world that, you know, artists like you and I live in. Right. And it was just incredible. And so, you know, that was big for me. And, you know, in the years after, uh, I would go to Europe pretty often just to, you know, be really um, supplied with inspiration. And, but, you know, I had this like, uh, naturalist side to I wanted to paint, you know, realistically. And so I kind of waned with, you know, dark stuff compared to, you know, beauty. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I probably dealt with an identity crisis all through that and just <laughs> realized it. And so, uh, natural, you know. Natural time in an artist's life. I think everyone kind of goes through that at some point when they're figuring out what they want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Even to this day, it's a struggle. Like, you know, do I make something that's pleasant that I know will sell or, right. <laughs> you know, am I compromising something in myself? And so, you know, uh, you know, and I think even just recently, like when trying to consciously make comfortable work for sale, mm. uh, but also making work that I know that is me. Right. And, finding out that, you know, collectors want me as my authentic self more right. than just trying to be comfortable. And so absolutely, that's, that's been a struggle career-wise or, you know, just with working with galleries, like, you know, they have comfort levels too. Yeah. <laughs> you stepping out of that. And yeah. <laughs> seems like it's part of the human experience. Exactly. In every, you know, facet, really. Yeah. Uh, so what, uh, what, okay, so you, you, I mean, you've got art degrees, right? I do. I yeah. have a it's... bachelor and master's in painting. I only minored in sculpture, but uh, I have art history degree as well. Amazing. So, so cool. Yeah, so I, you know, I, I delved in the academic world. And, you know, of course, when you're done with that, you're like, oh, crap, go find a job. Go find a job. <laughs> that's like, what I was getting at. That's that's <laughs> kind of why I asked. It's like, 
okay, you've got this amazing art education, and you've got art degrees now. What 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 do you what happens next once you graduate? Yeah, um, you know, and I and I did it once. You know, I applied to art professor professor openings. Oh, and uh, you know, didn't get any hits, and then I thought, well, I had a really great friend. Uh, this is when I lived in Hayes, Kansas. Mm. You know, rural rural America, <laughs> and I. I became friends with this fantastic watercolor painter. His name was John Cody. He was considered the Audubon of moths. So he was a fantastic moth painter. Wow. <laughs> and this guy was like straight out of the old world. He was extremely intelligent. He went to Johns Hopkins. Wow. wrote biographies on Emily Dickinson and... <laughs> You know, this guy was, like, incredibly intelligent. Yeah. And I go over to him, and we would have just these wild conversations. And, you know, that was just such a huge influence on me. But, you know, he started with medical illustration. Hmm. So he's like, why don't you apply at Johns Hopkins, like the leading medical illustration school? And I was like, okay. So I applied and I didn't get in because I was too much of an artist. And I said, <laughs> our program would bore you to death. And so, wow, <laughs> you know, it's just, it just seemed like I was trying as hard as I can to actually just be who I am. Right. And, you know, by the time, um, 2004, 2005 had rolled around, I, you know, I started, doing these sculpture things, you know, I had done it, you know, hit or miss in the nineties, mm. you know, you know, people really responded well, but I was like, Oh no, this is, this is just fun. <laughs> that was you the know, key though. You know, that was the key. And, and I had a friend who said, you know, why don't you do another one of those again? And it's like, okay. So I, I made one of these in like 2004 and, uh, you know, people loved it. I was like, well, okay. You know, I still got some parts left over. I'll make another one. Then one like that. I'm like, okay, I'm going big. And so then I made this seven foot tall skeletal piece. Yeah. I'm like, okay, maybe I'm getting somewhere. Maybe, maybe I'm comfortable with this, you know? Uh, um, yeah, around, yeah, it was in 2006 on my birthday. I was in a little cafe. I'd just gotten a nice little latte. Coming to sit down, my phone rings. <clears throat> and this guy named Brad, who was in this gallery in Philadelphia, he, you know, and I had all these kind of preconceived notions of what art galleries are like, you know. You hadn't you know, been showing sure. at that point or anything? Not really, you yeah. know, just this. You know, I figured, oh, it's probably a nice gentleman in a suit and, you know, and, <laughs> This guy, Brad, calls me. He's like, yeah, man, we like your shit. We want to show it. <laughs> like, okay, cool. And uh, so they had like, uh, this was the Lineage Gallery in Philadelphia in 2006. So they had a group show where they just had, they had this beautiful uh, dis display area near down old part of downtown Philadelphia. And so I... 
packed up all my work in my minivan and I drove it out there and hung it and everything sold. Yeah. I have some paintings there, uh, but the sculptures that I made, like I couldn't, I couldn't even fathom it. Like here I am driving on the highway and Brad calls me like, Oh yeah, we sold your sculpture. Like, how, <laughs> like, how does that work? How do you sell a piece before you show it on the wall? Like, I don't understand that. <laughs> Welcome to the art world. Yeah. And then, um, it's amazing. Yeah. Things started taking off in there and there were other galleries that got interested. And then like, you know, even at that early stage, I got to experience, uh, what can be an unpleasantry between galleries fighting mm. over. Yeah. And so I experienced that, which, uh, you know, had, uh, you know, had a, pretty much had some effect on me. So, you know, there are points where you have to realize where your boundaries are, mm-hmm. where is respectable business. And so that was, um, some big lessons to learn. Yeah. And fortunate I had that early on. And so, uh, yeah, it's 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 all part of the experience. Yeah, it sounds like you've you've had a really um, probably more than anybody on this podcast, and we're up. This is going to be episode one hundred and eighty six. So mm-hmm. out of yeah, out of all the artists I've interviewed, you've probably had the most traditional, uh, you know, old school traditional art career as far as you went to college you got a degree you got in a gallery and you just kind of like took off from there and you've kind of been in the gallery you know your your business is basically through the gallery system right yeah so it's very more it's more traditional than most people that i know which is like you know galleries won't take our or take you know take our stuff or we can't make enough in galleries so we have to kind of hustle on the side but you've been had that kind of um gallery career which i'm so interested to hear about because it sounds like amazing to me where you kind of like the gallery deals with everything and you just get to make art pretty much i mean that sounds like heaven to me yeah yeah i mean i i I still get uh involved in you know some of the process you know i've had a few like big commission jobs where you know uh i really had to do a lot of the legwork too. Oh yeah. And so, you know, I would say that in my career, like, you know, definitely a lot of like unassumptive things have happened or opportunities come up or things I just never thought I would do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's not, it's not just been the gallery world part, you know, it's been like, you know, like I did a big project with the Marine Corps. Oh really? Which, I'd ever, you know, get involved in doing. And it was just surreal that, you know, these people approached me and said, well, we had a meeting at the Pentagon with the Marine <laughs> Commandant, and we showed him some artists, and he said, this guy, this is our guy. Amazing. Would you like to do this project? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, if anybody needs art, it's the Pentagon. Yeah, as far as kind of being like a subversive influence. You know, it was was interesting what they told me because the the Marine Corps, you know, dealing with their 
company that handles all their advertising, they were like, hey, we want to be the Nike of the armed forces. Like, can you help us with that? And so this guy and their group of uh, directors at this firm was like, well, there's this guy we really like, you know, and, you know, I thought like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've done some things that might be offensive to the military. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. Like, <laughs> like the church tanks. Oh, and <laughs> Yeah, don't show them everything I've done. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it, it ended up being a artwork that I made for a recruitment program. So every year the Marine Corps has a kind of recruitment poster mm-hmm. to just a, you know, as an advertising splash, like, right. you know, and so I, you know, I made these three pieces and they were the most surveillance works I've ever made. Like I had to send them updates every two weeks to show everything I put on there. It had to be Marine related. Wow. I remember at one point I put 20 of these tiny little helicopters all over this piece and they're like, hey, what are those helicopters doing on there? Like, those are Blackhawks. The Marines don't use those. Oh, I'm no like, way. Wow. I'm like, no, no, they're Seahawks. They're not Blackhawks. They're like, oh, well, <laughs> the Navy uses those more than we do. So just, just go ahead and take those off. Wow. So, oh, my God. <clears throat> that must have been yeah. difficult. <laughs> yeah. And there was one piece where I actually built this beautiful model of the pentagon and i was going to use it as a backsplash you know i asked him first like you know you think it'd be cool if like the pentagon is kind of back here hailing there like oh sure so i put it on there and a couple of days later like oh yeah the pentagon isn't really a positive symbol of freedom so do you think you could take that off there oh interesting <laughs> yeah it was just interesting you know trying to exist, you know, trying to be who I am and exist in that world, yeah. which is out beautifully. And so I, they wanted the, the three pieces I did at the Marine Corps Museum. And so I, wow. I go there and get the pieces there. And I, I've never been treated like such a rock star before. Like I, I was shocked. Like, <laughs> you know, the, the, the museum is nearby one of the training facilities and so there's all these like young marines there like seeing what i'm doing and they're just flipping out i'm like signing posters and, wow. like, sir it's not every day that you meet a great artist it's so good to meet you sir <laughs> sir it's great to meet you and wow just, different world man it. like yeah and um we're used to being treated like shit by, by <laughs> artists are used to being treated by shit by like every segment of society I know. It's hilarious. Uh, yeah, I'm just shocked. I, I just figured, like, you know, this might be the most unwelcoming area for an artist, but right, it kind of fell into my personal, you know, part of my personal belief is that as an artist, you should be where you are not supposed to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You should be uncomfortable because to have that right influence, you have to influence the right people or things, and right. I just. Like, you know, this thing chose me. I never thought in a million years I would do something. And so it, it was great. Uh, and then, uh, you know, some months later, they sent me this letter. They're like, hey, 
you've been nominated for an award. Uh, we want to have you at this banquet. I'm like, okay. So I go there, and it's like a humanitarian awards that they give to people who did things for the Marines or wrote books or so I go there and um, I meet these elite power powerful people there and you know it's just it's so surreal to shake hands with people who have like ultimate control over just unlimited use of armed forces and to just mingle with them and have casual talk. And they have this huge bar, like any kind of drink you could possibly want. So I'm just sitting there hobnobbing with huge heads of state. <laughs> you know, That's the crazy. Secretary is there talking and, you know, I mean, it's very formal. And, you know, it was just surreal. Like, and, but, you know, nothing but praise. You know, I walk in. Like, Mr. Cooksey, did you know that in this museum that your sculpture is the second most photographed thing? You know what the most photographed thing is? What? The flag that flew over Iwo Jima. Oh my god, wow. <laughs> like, That's incredible. Man. That's awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's so amazing. Wow. Yeah, it seems like you're, you you know, I guess you've, uh, I mean, you've done other kind of work like that too, commissioned work for like, I don't know, I, I read in your bio, you've worked for Nike or you've done stuff for Nike yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, it seems like you've yeah. had a, like kind of a, kind of a crazy career, just really unusual. And you're so like low key, you're like, you're like a mellow, low key guy that just kind of goes, hmm, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to try it. You know, I'm just... It's just yeah. like it's interesting. I don't know. It just seems like if you're, if you're not just like trying so hard to carve a certain path, life will take you in such other more interesting ways if you kind of allow it to. If you're open to that. Yeah, yeah. I, that's that's what I love. I just love knowing these very interesting people. So yeah, Mark Parker at Nike. He was the uh, CEO for a number of years. He's my by far my biggest collector. Oh wow! Yeah, I, I remember you doing at least. I remember him buying at least one of your pieces through Copro, or hearing that you were doing some commission work for him. But I didn't realize yeah. he has a bunch of your stuff. Yeah, I think he owns about fourteen or fifteen of them. Wow! Holy shit! Yeah. So, yeah, in uh, late two thousand seventeen, I big a, I did a big piece for him. Uh, he just wanted the. Uh, the Nike, the, the famous Nike statue that's at the Louvre, mm. just the one with no head or arms, it's just her wings. He just wanted something built around that. So I, I made this huge elaborate piece, and uh, it was going to be for their new headquarters that they were building there, up there in Beaverton, Oregon. Mm. And uh, so yeah, that was that was a big, wonderful piece to do. Uh, it was funny when I delivered it. It was on one of the rarest days in Portland when it ever snows. Oh, weird. So, <laughs> See what I mean? You got a weird life. <laughs> yeah. Like, here I am, this big giant piece rolling in, and the whole town is shut down. Like, Portland doesn't know how to deal with snow. Right. The whole, the whole town is shut down, and, and the Nike campus isn't even open. 
but you know, a few people are there. So I, you know, we bring it in. It's it's too big for the elevator, so we have to go up the stairway. And and I, you know, I'm done with it early. Like like the building isn't even built yet. So Mark's like, well, it's just hanging in my office. And so we hung it in the back of his office behind his desk, and it was great. It was really, you know, that was another piece that you know, even though it was specific to something that I, you know, was had to do or, you know, never thought I'd really get an idea for that. But, you know, I didn't feel, you know, compromised in any way. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I just didn't put anything that was a little too naughty on there. Right. You know, <laughs> tend to want to on just about everything I make, but. Do you, you know. do you, um, have you had experiences where it was really like a nightmare where you were being directed so much that it was wrecking the whole thing or you felt like it was unpleasant or, or have you been, been able to keep kind of the autonomy? Yeah. I don't think it ever did. Of course I'm, I'm a pretty tolerant person. Yeah. <laughs> so, I can tell. <laughs> you know, somebody really berated me and, you know, I just be polite, you know? Okay. But, you know, I, I never felt like the creative process to where it's like, you know, they're changing it so much or having so much input that it's like, I can't, I don't like this anymore or I can't finish it or, you know. Yeah, that, that's kind of what um, a lot of the gallery world doesn't like are commissions because, you know, if, if you're giving your client just too much uh, say over it, you know, it can, it can really go into, oh, you yeah. know, parts. And so um but you know at the same time it's a good gig you know it's, oh yeah for sure and so you know and I, I i i know that there are changes in the art market you know i, I don't try to pay too much attention you know i, I don't want to get depressed about it you know i just you know as long as i can keep floating then you know i feel good but you know i i never take it <clears throat> for granted I, you know, doing this full time for 13 years, it's, uh, it's very challenging. And, you know, I don't, I don't get a steady paycheck every month. Right. You know, it's like, uh, the constant, you know, juggle of, you know, when, when is, uh, funds happening, you know, See, how I, I, that's, it's, I, I did, I, I, you know, maybe naively kind of expected that maybe you weren't in that position as much as most of us because your stuff, you know, as far as I know, your stuff has always commanded pretty good prices. You know, yeah. your stuff has never been cheap. It's not like you kind of went really cheap that I know of and worked your way up. It's like every time I've seen your stuff, it's had a pretty hefty and, you know, totally worth it, of course. But, you know, you're, you're getting what you're, work is worth whereas most of us are kind of like getting less than that it's actually worth because we're trying to <laughs> climb our way up but um so and it seemed like you were always in demand you know i know trying to get you in shows that i curated was difficult because you were just always you're doing commissions or you're in whatever you, you know you're in demand guy so i just assumed probably you were you know you were you did not have that concern about when the funds were coming through but I guess yeah. we all do. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, you know, I, I, I can totally keep things going, you know, regardless. But, you know, in, in any kind of, you know, normalcy, you know, it's it's just nothing I can ever schedule. Right, you know? right, yeah. 
you know, a, a big part of the year is getting ready for one show. That's right. So yeah. See, you have to figure out how to like, how do you support everything, right. you know, just on a living level, but you know, how do you fund the show that's going to happen at the end of the year? Right. It's, it's yeah. A you, real... you had a, I, you know, hold on one second. I got a, sorry, everybody. Oh man. Okay. My level was messed up. I'm going to have to fix that in editing. Sorry. Anyway. Uh, yeah, it's a different lifestyle though for you being, you know, being a gallery artist. It's different. It's like you're preparing for a show, whereas, you know, somebody like myself that I don't, I don't make enough money from. I do a gallery show every year, except for the last couple of years because I needed a break. But I don't make enough from the gallery sales to support myself. There's no way, not even close. So I'm like always got to do the hustle. And so I'm like, you know, selling stuff and, and prints and this and that. Uh, but it's a totally different trip when it's like you've got your art show. And like you said, you've got a year and your stuff is so intricate. And I'm sure it takes a long time to get these things done. It is a very long time. It's like, how? what's the average amount of pieces you do for a solo show? Is Do you have kind of a, a rough average? Uh, you know, if I can get it around, you know, eight to ten. Like, I feel good. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, I'll always start more than that. But, you know, when it comes down to the final rush, you know, a, yeah. a couple make it. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's just, it's been interesting seeing how the last few years the world exists. And, um, you know, there's, there's been a lot of galleries that have folded. Yeah. And, it's, um, you know, I don't know if there's any, you know, I'm not a, a gallery analyst by any means. So, you know, I imagine there's several factors at hand, but, uh, you know, sometimes, um, you know, it's, it's an adapt or perish kind of thing. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's something that you could just never take for granted and um just you know do the best you can and you know just very fortunate and very um excited to just keep doing and you know people support you know what i want to do so yeah i don't yeah i don't think galleries will ever go away i really don't i mean i know a lot of people say that because of online sales and direct sales but i think it's just like, uh, you know, the music industry went to shit, but there's still, you know, there's still bands doing it. You know, it's always going to be there. There's still live shit. Not now, there's not, but, you know, with COVID. But, um, you know, uh, <clears throat> they'll always be there, and it's and it's kind of like, it, the question is which ones will survive. Yeah. Because yeah. it's definitely a different landscape than it was gallery-wise, but just like Copro, you know. They've managed to, and they're like, a, you know, they, they, they're a, you know, seat of their pants kind of gallery. Always, it's always a hustle as well. And it's like, they've been able to ride this whole thing out and somehow manage to make sales, you know, by, you know, changing their model a little bit maybe and selling, doing more online sales and stuff like that. So there's a way to have an actual physical gallery and make it work. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, <clears throat> a good comment about, 
the online thing is, you know, when I have a show, um, the, the pieces would sell to collectors through like an email blast. And so, you know, people would buy the work without actually seeing it in person. Right. And, you know, I thought that was interesting that, you know, the opening is like the big hurrah. Like you go to the opening, there's lots of people, but then you'll find that none of the people there are the actual collectors. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody buys stuff at openings. It's like they buy it on the preview, the online preview. Or after the opening, I found. I, I want to say uh, a show I did in late 17 in New York uh, with my gallerist, Joshua Liner. I made this wild Medusa piece. And he, uh, you know, he had different uh, opinion about it than I did because it was more an intensity look to it. Yeah, that was an amazing uh, piece. I've seen that. Yeah. But, awesome. you know, it was the biggest piece in the show. <clears throat> And, uh, you know, I, I could, I could tell he had some concern about it, but during the opening, this, uh, this guy comes in and he's got this nice suit on older gentleman and he just walks up to it and he's just staring at it. And, uh, and he talk- down. <laughs> yeah, I talking to my friend and he's like, you know, I think that guy is going to buy it. I'm like, well, I don't know about that. Like, you know. How often do you get like a walk-in sale on opening night? Right. <laughs> and, you know, it's the, the most expensive piece. And, uh, and sure enough, the guy buys it. <laughs> so and, uh, awesome. You know, I just ended up, he's just like talking my ear off the whole night. And I'm like, man, this guy's great. Like, wow. You know, thank you so much. Like, it's totally unexpected. Like, you look at him, this nice suit. Yeah, I think he was uh, for, uh, he was involved. I think he's a Wall Street banker. I think Merrill Lynch or something. Wow! And uh, he's just like, yeah, I love it, and you know, and he's showing me his other art collection, and you know, and he, he ended up getting it, and it was just, you know, it's just another. Uh, I can you hold on a second. Yeah, no problem. Sorry, my son Owen uh, <clears throat> said he was getting hungry. So, <laughs> <laughs> no problem. I'm surprised I haven't gotten a knock yet on the board. <laughs> so, but, uh, so, what what was this other guy's collection like? Was was it anything uh, near what you do, or was it a totally he, different his, trip? Yeah, his thing was uh, he loved. Um, like religious Catholic kind of art. And he was showing me um, these artists that he knew that were doing these beautiful things for him. And he told me about this beautiful church that's in New York with this amazing Archangel Michael statue there. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, we're just talking up a storm and, you know, like, and this guy bought my Medusa piece. Like, it's interesting. (laughs) That, that same guy, uh, asked me this last fall to make uh, a piece for him, a commission piece about the end times. Wow! <laughs> and sounds perfect. Uh, this was this was pre-COVID. Amazing. And here I am. Uh, I think I finished it in May, and I'm like, you know, this this uh, scene of the end times 
We have Archangel Michael, Wings, Souls, and I made this beautiful hell landscape down below. And wow. There's a heavenish area. You know, I, I haven't really shown it yet. Like, I feel like, you know, at some point I need to here soon because it's just so completely. Yeah. Wow. But, yeah, that, that was that was a great, uh, you know, that, that's the sort of thing where, you know, getting collectors, you know, from a show that you've done, it's just, you know, it, it ends up being a good thing in the long run. So Yeah, yeah. Again, another weird thing to happen to you. I swear, you, you just seem like you have all so many weird things happen to you. Like I, I, weird, I have, auspicious things happen to you. Yeah, like, I, I haven't even weirder stuff. Uh, <laughs> I bet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, this last year, I I don't know how much of this I can actually share, but um, I was a part of a... Uh, like finalist selection of artists that um, I didn't know that I was aware of mm-hmm. until this gentleman contacted the gallery, Josh, and said that I was one of 15 of this finalist for this uh, very interesting project. And so I had to do this um big uh submission paper so i had to put together this huge presentation of just past uh experiences and you know interesting projects that i've done Mm. so i end up being a finalist like one of four people and so we were invited to this very remote location in texas uh, on this huge ranch and we got to go inside this giant mountain and look at something that was just utterly fantastic and um so it was uh, it was a uh, it was a part of a um kind of a competition for an art piece that would be made for this event and so the the uh they call them the client the client was the person who was funding this whole thing and putting it all together. And uh, so, and through that elimination process, I got to go meet the client at his Seattle home. Uh, and that was, uh, that was September of last year. And yeah, so uh, I won't... Yeah, <laughs> who it was but <laughs> somebody famous i imagine one of the foremost characters in the planet right now okay i was <laughs> chatting with him about this project and so that was pretty surreal yeah so. yeah like i said you you just I, uh, <laughs> it's a trip <laughs> i mean that's what you know that's what that's what happens when you've got you've got you've got a good thing going you've got this you know amazing uh, 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 I don't know your own genre of sculpture it's like you kind of created this thing I remember when I first saw your first pieces I you know, the first thing I thought of was like that motherfucker <laughs> it's like that is such a good idea 
ah, it's like, I wish I thought of it. It's so, it's such a brilliant idea. It's like one of those things. Every once in a while, you'll see something like that. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Like you'll see someone come up with just a, an idea and it's just like, ah, it's so, it's just, it's one of those amazing ideas. And, yeah. um, and it's like, I would so, it, you know, it makes me want to do one. It's like, I want to do one, but I could never do one because no one should ever do one. And I know people have kind of like done them, <laughs> you know, there's been people that have kind of bit your style somewhat, but, the, but it's like, yeah. you, you were the first to show it. You were the first to come up with the idea and have it be seen. It's yours. No one can, you know, no one, no one should ever try anything like that because it's, it's yeah. so specifically <laughs> you and so signature that it's like, you kind of own it. So, but it's, 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 it, it, it's inspiring and frustrating at the same time. Cause it's like, you I want to make one. It looks like it'd be so much fun <laughs> to make one, but I, I would never do it. I would never do it because yeah. I would never, I would never feel right about it. I would never feel right about showing it, you know, it's yours. So yeah, I really appreciate that. I mean, and, and that's another part of the career here is, is dealing with uh, those who want to copy, you mm -hmm. know, like, I feel like that should be included. in as far as the indications that you've made it is when people start copying. Definitely. And, you know, in my experience, it hasn't just been people. It's been like, you know, other things like mm -hmm. things. Yep. And so the, you know, learning process, um, and just the, you know, you know, how to navigate through that. Cause you know, it can feel very, uh, uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely don't want to get into any kind of specifics about any of those, but right. Right. No, uh, no, definitely. Not. It's, it's been really, you know, it's, it's all lesson learned and, you know, and I, and I think for artists, like it's very important to, uh, you know, have a sense of ownership of, over what you do, you know, not only just stylistically, but, you know, even on the, you know, uh, side of, you know, when it comes to copyrights, like those kind of things, it's mm -hmm. always have those things in place too, because that that's what ultimately helped me with dealing with some of these things. And so, you know, that isn't always, that's not taught in art school, you know? Right. Yeah. Not, um, you know, it's, you know, I, I've seen <clears throat> a lot of artists, some artist friends, you know, put into these compromised positions. And so it's like, well, you got to get this, this in order because, you know, to deal with the real world is, you know, it's not forgiving. Right. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been very interesting. I mean, and even in my case, uh, some of these things turned out to be so much of a win, win again, it's just another strange, surreal thing. Like, <laughs> you know, how did I even get here? Uh, sitting here with, famous people and almost colliding with Julia Roberts, you know, Julia Roberts and <laughs> beautiful red dress. And anyway, I'll tell you more in private. Yeah, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> I understand. No problem. Um, so, you know, when you did that first, 
sculpture piece that you're messing with, the one that your friend told you to do another one. How did you how did you have all that stuff lying around already or did you like did you yeah. have an idea to make a sculpture and then go on eBay and buy a bunch of model old model parts or how did that come about? Yeah, that's the part of me that so in my adolescence my total nerd geek thing to do was to build models. Build, Same here, man. You know, my my thing was like airplanes uh Jets, rockets, you know, I didn't, I didn't care too much for like car models. Like I felt like that was too cliche. So <laughs> man, I just, I just loved vehicles. I just love forms and shapes. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of never went away. And so when it came to art, you know, it's like, I just, I would collect all this stuff, you know? Right. And it just kind of came to where like, I, I had it was this was 1995. I had a summer painting class, and I had all this stuff, and I just like you know why don't I just use this as a canvas? And so I I took the tabletop of a like a metal lawn set that was very ornate and decorative, and I attached these. Uh, cow jawbones and this deer skull too mm -hmm. and then I had these wedding cake decoration things and I just made this beautiful arrangement like just totally on a whim mm -hmm. and you know so my thing was that sorry okay. thing was that well this can't just be a, a sculpture it's for a painting class so I have to paint it and so I painted this thing and oh, wow. <laughs> turned it in and That's my so teacher funny. Oh wow, that's interesting. And um, but you know, again, I didn't, I didn't take it seriously. But you know, it took it took a good decade to catch up to me, and so it was, yeah, it was just something left over from. It was just reference. You were creating a reference piece to make a painting, right? Yeah, it, it's <laughs> it, hilarious. It just dawned <laughs> on me that you know I'm a builder. I like to build yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. And you know. For all the love that I have for painting and technique and just, you know, just, you know, it just felt like I felt more of myself, mm -hmm. you know, using three-dimensional space. So, yeah. And I, I still paint every now and then, you know, I'll do like a, uh, an, a painting of an iris or paint somebody's portrait. And so, I, you know, I feel like that never leaves me or right. I use it. Uh, but yeah, at the same time, it's like, I don't want it to be about ego. Like I don't want to have to prove to everybody right. how good of a painter I am just, right. just to prove it. You know? Right. Right. Like that's not the purpose of it. You've and got so, paintings on your website. So if anybody wants to know what a badass painter you are, they can go look. <laughs> you don't, I mean, <laughs> but, but yeah, the fact that they're acrylic, like acrylic, those is, are acrylic. Those are acrylic. Oh my acrylic God. Hard. <laughs> it's hard to do that with them. That's for sure. Yeah. And so that's crazy. You know, a part of me was like, well, my, my high school art teacher and my college professor were both allergic to oil paint. And so I never, I never got to paint with oil paint. It was like only acrylic. Wow. And so I was just kind of by default learned to, paint with acrylic wow. now I in later years I went to Europe and learned 
old master painting techniques, you know, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Kind of use that towards acrylic, but you know, I've, I've never done just a full on oil painting. And I think like, really? you know, I, I feel like I've totally missed out on a whole other world that maybe I should be doing. So well, you should do it for fun anyway. Yeah. Just to, I'll, just... Come, uh, I'll come visit you and you give me some lessons. Totally. I would, <laughs> I would love to do that. <laughs> well, I mean, you're, you know, you're, um, uh, I, I see you as like a true artist. Like you're a real true artist to where you, you kind of excel in whatever medium you you're, you're, you're able to excel in, in any kind of medium within the art world or in the art realm. Kind of like Christopher Ulrich is, is like this. I don't know if you know, Christopher, he's kind of like that. Like he's, he's amazing with his paintings are amazing. He does acrylic paintings that are amazing. He does these marker sketches. They're just like, they're so good and sketchbooks and drawings. It's like, he's kind of, and he does toys and it's like, He's just, it's just like certain people that are, I think, I don't know. I, I, I think of them as like, you know, real artists. They, they can kind of, you, you could put them in a room full of just a bunch of junk and they could turn that into some amazing thing. You know what I mean? It's like, it's more the way you, I think the way you view the world, like you're always looking at, looking at things through a creative lens. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yes. You know, so. I, you know, I just, I, I, I have a feeling like if you, I don't know, got into music or were interested in music, you'd probably be able to, you know, learn how to, I, I don't know if you play or not, but you probably, uh, that I was going to mention that earlier. I actually, <laughs> uh, actually, uh, got a guitar in my teenage years and I, I ended up getting on kind of the same caliber as like, a uh, eighties, uh, metal shredder kind of Ingvay Mops thing was like my mm-hmm. <laughs> guitar girl. So I actually delved in that world. Right. But I'm I'm I don't have the brain to learn songs verbatim. Like I all I could do in a disciplinary sense and that was just to be completely improvisational. That's a trip. That's unusual. So I would just like find some sick drum beat that, you know, lasted 30 minutes and I would just play along with that <laughs> shred up and down scales and just, wow. get into so, and no way am I any kind of proper functioning musician. Right. Right. That far, but I guess the point uh, I was getting to is that, you know, I think, I don't know. You seem like you have one of the, those kind of minds that if you're interested in something, you're able to learn it and at least become adequate at it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. When it, it comes to create creative things. <clears throat> yeah. It's a big um, hurdle to stop your own self limitations. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's a struggle I, I deal with sometimes is, you know, I have to do this, you know, at this proximity to this caliber and you know it can you know to look at nothingness and put together a show of eight to ten pieces you know that's such a huge difference between that very raw beginning where I feel so completely uh, 
clueless to refining something. Right. And, you know, it's just like picking up a huge book and starting to read it. Like the amount of dread of work just to do that. Right. It's hard. So, you know, just being, you know, completely unafraid and right. not getting to, to start something is, you know, I, I, I think that's just how you have to be. Um, yeah, it's kind of a, a, I think, I think that's, I think that's a, a, a problem you have. Like you said, it's like a, a late, a late career or a later career pro problem that comes up, you know, like having expectations and wondering, can I keep doing this? Is this one going to, is this show going to suck? You know, because if you're just kind of going on your own intuition, you know, you, you, you can, it's just like, you know, uh, you know, you always hear of bands that put out albums. Um, I was watching that Rush documentary the other night again, you know, because I'm, okay. I'm like a Rush fan. And uh -huh. it's on, uh, I think it's on Netflix. And they were talking about how they did this album, like an early album in their career, like their third album or something. And it just completely bombed. And they loved it. You know, when they did it, they were completely inspired. Um and you could tell they were sort of making excuses for it, like they were smoking too much weed at the time, maybe. But, but they were like, we were. It's actually, it's a really good album, and it's and it's just, you know, you these things. Um, once you have a career, you have to. It's they come up, they shouldn't come up, but they do come up. Like, can I do this again? Or are my, you know, I had one show where I was like, I don't have any. I I can't. I don't know if it was. I think it was exhaustion, maybe from working too hard. I just couldn't come up with ideas. And, it, and it, I just couldn't do it. I was like, it was the first, my one and only time I had like a block. And I ended up, what I ended up doing is just kind of like relaxing and then looking at um, old horror comics from the 50s and 60s. I found these books online. And, and that for me when I was a kid was very inspiring. So just looking at them kind of got me going again. And I was able to do a whole show. But um, yeah, or just, you know, changing things up wanting to try new things and not knowing if they're going to land or not. I got, sorry about yeah. the, I got a gardener out fucking, I, <laughs> I don't know if you could hear that. There's like a leaf blower outside. So I'll, the real world creeps in. Yeah. I'll try and uh, get rid of that in the record on the uh, editing process, but you know what I'm saying though? I mean, I'm sure you know exactly what I'm saying. There's just different, yeah. there's different in different stages of your career. There's different, different problems come up. It's not, it's like, yeah. there's never not a problem. It's just the problem yeah. changes. <laughs> it's like problems yeah. are inherently built into every aspect of life. It seems like. Yeah, they definitely are. Um, yeah. And I think back of all the, you know, shows I've done like the, cause you know, I live in the middle of nowhere and yeah. I have to, I have to get this to the coast. Yeah. How and, do you do that? <laughs> what do you do? You know, a, lot, a lot of times I would end up just driving my That's show. Right. In a U-Haul. That's and, right. You know, that that can't be done in just a couple of hours. That's like twenty plus hours. Yeah. You, you did that. To, you did that for the for a Copro show. Yeah. Yeah. Not many times. Um, and you know, it's like once you get there, like you're completely exhausted. But I was like, okay, let's hang a show. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's kind of a cool. If you could, if you're getting, I guess if the question is if you're getting paid enough, it would be kind of a cool part of the, pro I could see it being 
part of a cool part of the process. Like, this is my work. It has to be hand-delivered. I have to hang it, and I'm making good money, and I can hire people to load it, and I can kind of, you know, just travel across the country when I make a sale and take a little cool little road trip, hang the thing. You know what I'm saying? It seems like that would yeah, be kind exactly. of a fun aspect of, of it, really. Yeah. As long as you're getting paid enough, because <laughs> because if you're doing something like that and you're not and you're struggling to make ends meet and you have to worry about stuff like that and try and do every single aspect of it yourself, that seems like it would be a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, and I think back like, you know, that would have been incredibly stressful and just hard to deal with, and but at the same time, like, it was such an adrenaline rush too. Mm-hmm. You know, something about like. You know, being pushed to the edge, like, you know, you really, you really show up, you know, as a person. You really, like, take charge, and it's like some kind of adrenaline high. It's Mm -hmm. like some kind of, and, you know, that's very different from just sitting in your studio quietly, listening to some music. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So it's, it's interesting, like, what you can find out about yourself, put into you know, situations that aren't comfortable. Yeah. Staying or, you know, yeah. I'm in my late forties now. Like, you know, I can't drive to the coast in one shot anymore. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Without, you know, substantive aid, but you know, <laughs> I love driving though. And right. you know, I've seen some really interesting things on drives and travels. And, you know, it's just one of those, delightful things to you know experience you know I, you know i always felt like and a lot of great writers have talked about this how travel is so important mm-hmm. you know gets you out of your comfort zone because you know being contained in this this is comfort um <clears throat> but yeah you know, i just i love traveling and meeting new people mm-hmm. you know i think from the kind of people I know, like there are such extreme ends right. to each other that, you know, uh, I, I think it's just wonderful. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's everybody should travel. I, I don't, <clears throat> I don't like traveling anymore because I did it a lot early in my career when I was working on movies. I had the same situation as you. Like I'd never been on a, I've never even been on a plane before and I got a job when I was 18 and they and I they flew me to Italy for three months, <laughs> and I just had gotten in the business and I was making molds for this place. And they were like, "You want to go to Italy?" Oh, okay. And um, and so it's like a twenty whatever hour flight, but um, and then I ended up going to China, working in China, and traveling all over the country, going to different states for jobs over time. And I was never really into traveling. Because uh, I'm such a homebody, I really am like, you know, I if I don't care if I never travel again ever, like if I never leave my house, <laughs> pretty much. But um, but because I feel, you know, I got what um, I got out of it. What you, what traveling gives you, which is, you yeah. know, you realize that all people are the same, all people are generally cool and just don't want any problems. You know, as far as like cultures and different parts of the world and stuff, generally sure. people are good. You know, it's and that's a huge thing to to experience to see that. You know, 
hey, I've been to this country, and people are just generally pretty cool. And then I went to this other place that's, you know, thousands of miles away, and people are pretty cool there, too. And then I went to this other place where, you know, they people have this bad reputation, but they're actually just kind of cool, regular people. It's like, uh-huh. yeah. oh, the whole world's like this. <laughs> you know, this is... I've been lied to my whole life, but anyway, it's it's so valuable, um, and I and I think that people who travel a lot seem to seem to generally have like a more optimistic outlook on on um, the nature of humans, you know. Yeah, they seem yeah, to be definitely. kinder people, maybe. Um, so I yeah, I think it's it's really a, a thing that I, I think if everybody traveled around the world, it would definitely be a better place put it that way yeah (laughs) yeah and it just goes to you know where i came from because i i could have easily fallen into that you know right never leave your nest kind of thing yeah yeah you know and to to go to very different places in the world you know culturally like to go to uh a place that you know isn't isn't a developed nation uh isn't doesn't have um a social system that's you know mm-hmm. that are acceptable or you know to be put there uh to just you know you kind of meet yourself in your own discomfort mm-hmm. and you know i think that's very valuable oh yeah really makes really makes you appreciate everything and this you know, sometimes you just need that kind of experience to realize that, you know, you know, things aren't as bad as that you want to make them right. to be, you know. Yeah, like, I know. It's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a weird, um, being, being like a liberal, it's kind of weird to travel and then come back and say, America is really, you know, one of the, greatest countries in the world are really you know generally speaking it's it's great because when you go to other places and you you see it but that's such a like a right-wing talking point that you feel kind of weird saying it <laughs> as a liberal but it's true you know you you come back and you're like you appreciate all these amazing things you have that you just take for granted all the time you know when you go and see people that don't have shit you know that have nothing yeah yeah, I agree. I I think it was interesting being in uh, Berlin and going to the little uh, Turkish food place at the end of the corner. Mm-hmm. Going in there, you know, Turkish guy making falafels, and you know, he looks at me. He realizes that I'm American, and with what little English he knows, he looks at me and he goes. George Bush or Bill Clinton? <laughs> that is <laughs> That's so funny because as soon as you said Berlin, I was going to say I went to Berlin. I had a show in Berlin at Strychnine Gallery. I don't know if that's yeah. why you you probably weren't. It's Were you at Strychnine? Yes. yes. Okay, okay. Uh I went there, had a show, and it was during Bush, during uh-huh. the Bush era and uh, frequently people wouldn't talk to me. Like, especially we went to this bar, it was like a local bar, the, the bar owner and the people working there, they just wouldn't even, they wouldn't take your order. They wouldn't look at you. They wouldn't talk, talk to you. And I was, and I was trying to be like, nice. Like I always am to pe- new people I meet. And Yasha was like, Oh, they're not going to talk to you. Don't even try. <laughs> Cause they were just like, 
And then people at the show, I remember, were like, why did you elect this guy? You know, they couldn't understand it. And I was like, I didn't do it. <laughs> and it's and you know, looking at look at things now, it's like, you know. Yeah. They're probably yeah. thinking we're complete psychopaths at this point. <laughs> I you know, and a lot of times um you know, in situations like that, you know, um you don't always know like you know, how they view you. Right. They you know, there might be that kind of assumptive, like they don't want anything to do with you. But I've also experienced where people feel intimidated because they wish they knew how to speak English more. Oh yeah. Right. So it would, uh, you know, you could see some kind of shyness, but you might interpret so like they don't want anything to do with you. And so that's true. That's true. But yeah, uh, I I was going off of what Yasha said. She was yeah. like, "Oh yeah, they don't like Americans here." <laughs> it was like a, it was it was a Bush thing. It was, you know. I have to say, one of the most interesting things experienced in Berlin was um, uh, Yasha took me to this place called Panorama Bar, uh-huh. and it's like this club in this like warehouse building, and you know, it was like one of the off nights. It wasn't a theme night. But, you know, it's just packed full of people and, you know, there's just like interesting things happening around you. You know, people are like, you know, very much in contact and, you know, I, I think I ended up drawing some pictures on this woman's arm and, you know, just a throbbing techno beat. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's like asking where the bathroom is, like, oh, it's that way. And so heading there and there'd be this giant eight by 10 foot picture of this woman's crotch, just like <laughs> her legs open, like, you know, and I'm like, wow, that's fascinating. That, <laughs> you know, like the cultural context of this is normal. Right. Coming from Kansas, like I'll never see this again in my life. But, you know, <laughs> I have to take this in. Like, right. I would never see something like this again. And... Right. I, you know, I remember speaking of, of that period, um, Yasha took me to some party, like some like rich people's party thing. It was, and I, you know, I'm from like, not a, not a rural area, but it's, I'm from a blue collar town, San Pedro, which is like, you know, sail, sailors and longshoremen. That's what you did. You're, you know, if you grew up there, you're, you became a longshoreman. Um, so, I, you know, I'm blue blue collar person. Yeah. Uh, and so, <clears throat> you know, I'm in Berlin, which is crazy. And then she's like, oh, we're going to go to this party. I think there's maybe art collectors there or something. And we get up there. It's like this modern building, you know, super modern, like apartment building. And we go up to the door it's like all the everything's different like the door handles are different the the size of the doors are just different than i'm used to you know it's like a weird it's 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 europe and it's our like super rich part of europe so everything just seems even crazier but it was it was like you see in a movie there was a guy standing there in a black suit you know no tie all black like this tough guy standing letting people in and she's like i don't know gives him a card or tells him a code and then he lets us in the door and it was i'm telling you it was just like a movie it was like you walk in i could see i see it like a like a um what do you call those the the uh, like uh the the 
the camera rigs that they wear where it's like really fluid they use oh, yeah. in movies uh i can't think of it you, people will know what i'm talking about but um i see it that way like you know you walk in there's a like a model some beautiful model right here you walk past there's a guy holding out literally of a, a velvet uh, a piece of velvet with a bunch of diamonds and he's showing someone else like this jeweler with these really huge diamonds and people over here playing backgammon and it was just so like it was just like in a movie and everyone was just like super you could tell it was it was a world that i'd never um experienced before in my life it was like the ultra rich lifestyle yeah. partying and it was like wow this was, it was so weird wow it was a mind blower but i think i think one other interesting kind of party experience i had uh was during our basel in 2012 uh so the dutch designer iris van herpen she's huge mm. uh her and i in the years before got acquainted, you know, and she, um, she was at Art Basel and the Met Museum wanted to throw a little party for her. <laughs> so she got to invite some artist friends. So we're at this kind of really nice schnazzy, like restaurant club in Miami. And we go there and we meet her, just a few of us, but we have our own table. Mm. It's a big table. And at the end of the table is this giant water tank. And we're sitting there. I'm sitting next to Harold Coda, who is the Met fashion curator. <laughs> we're just talking up a storm. You know, real nice guy. And then this woman in this crazy dress that iris had designed it was like some recent dresses mm -hmm. this woman gets into this tank and is swimming around in this tank while we're sitting there having dinner and it was just so surreal that this woman just yeah. swimming and you know the she had a bit of wardrobe malfunction happening but <laughs> this is miami nobody cares right and so we're sitting there eating and pretty soon this guy comes around and offers to massage your shoulders <laughs> while you're eating. So like, Oh, well that's fun. You know? <laughs> and then this woman comes around with a bottle of liquor and she just offers to pour it directly into your mouth, like a shot. Just that's so weird. <laughs> so getting this nice shoulder massage and a shot being poured into my mouth and, there's this woman swimming around in the tank, and and then uh, she had asked Iris had asked this famous cake maker to make a cake version of my church tank, so they brought that out for dessert. Whoa! Sparklers shining everywhere. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it was just it was just such a surreal, decadent. Yeah. Evening that you know just hard to explain like you know how do you go home at night and somebody asks you how your evening was and you tell them all that you know right. <laughs> yeah that's you know that's this is another uh trippy thing about you my perception about you i think it's true is that you are you know i consider you like uh you know a colleague and a friend and we're like from the same scene kind of you know yeah. 
but you have managed to or you know just your artwork has taken you to this other level of fine art that i haven't i haven't experienced it you know like i said the stuff with yasha is probably the closest thing i've ever had to experiencing that but but um so you are you kind of are like one of us that made it made it to like the real art high-end art level which is so rare you know i can't think of anybody else I really know that I consider a friend that has gotten there, you know? So it's a trip. So you're kind of like a hero, I think to a, a lot of us in that way that you like, you did it, you broke through and you, and you, and you stayed cool and dark with your work. You know, <laughs> you didn't like do some cutesy thing or some trendy thing. It's like you made your own, you did your, your own a hundred percent, your own thing and, and created like, created your own your own i mean niche doesn't really uh I, I don't think describes describes it well enough but you almost created your own genre of art in a weird yes. way yeah. and made it and it took you and it's taken you to the like these high levels to where you're you know hobnobbing with these met people and it's and it's it's so cool like I, i'm i'm really happy that you're that i'm happy that that uh one of us was able to do it because there's, I feel that there's so much more and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like there's so much more talent at, at the, at, at the low levels that we're at as far as like the greater art scene. I feel like there's, you know, maybe not more, but I don't, maybe there, it just seems like there's at least the same amount of talent, if not more than there is at the high levels. Yeah, I would you know? agree. And um, it all gets overlooked. And then once in a yeah. while, someone like you manages to break through, and it's so cool because you still have like yeah. a connection to us, lowly, you know, dark art people <laughs> down here. <laughs> so it's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, and I, I I agree with you. Like, you know, there's some phenomenally fantastic, talented people that you know I wish were more noticed, more collected, and right. you know, but it, but it's hard to put that into any kind of text you know, of like, uh, judgment or, you know, like yeah. I can still, I can still be hard on myself for not, you know, doing more or right. doing this or that. And so like, I can definitely still feel like, what the hell am I doing in life? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, you know, I think, uh, I, you know, I, I just, I don't, I mean, I would love to, you know, have more in the material sense, but you know, it's not, that has never been a driven factor. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, I want to have a nice comfortable living, you know, I have a couple of children, you know, just trying to keep a lid on everything. Um, but you know, at the same time, it's, it's been a great thing to do all these wild and strange experiences and you know like i've got that guy's phone number on my phone right exactly it's it's amazing i could text him and you know yeah i mean that's so cool it's so cool i just I, it's just amazing but, but I, at the time it's like you know the the transient guy downtown it's like i know him and we right, talk i know he tells me about the hiding spot that he lives where nobody can find him and nobody bothers right. him. <laughs> yeah, you're like one of those people, I think. You're just kind of like 
you're open and non-judgmental, I guess. And so, you know, when those opportunities arise, you're able to, I don't know, you're able to, to relate to people because you're not, you know, yeah, a judgmental I, kind of person. I, I think it's a big thing to look at all the falsities and things, you know, um, I mean, a, a, the big thing with social media is that there's a lot of like false, deceptive perceptions going on, and it's hard for people not to get wrapped up in their own personal story through social media. Right. And, so, uh, and you know, as artists, we really cling to that kind of presence and such. And you know, I think it doesn't always reflect reality. And I think it's, uh, you know, it can be a great thing and also be, you know, negative in some aspects. And so, you know, when you, like when I look at myself, like I think of all these amazing things that I've done here and there, but then I think I'm not as present here or there as maybe one should think that you should be. But right. I, I think that, uh, I can't be too concerned about all that. And I think it all just leads into this tunnel of unhappiness or, um, you know, a false sense of who you are. Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, we as artists have to let go so much and because it's ultimately, you know, who you are as a person that needs to, to come out. And so, you know, I could easily judge myself in my career with a bigger artist right. and faster and, That's you true. know, yeah. Make it more money and sulk about it. Yeah. More, they're more prestigious. They got in this other museum that I've never been in. It's kind of never ending, I think. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's hard to, you know, steer clear of that, but, you know, I think, um, it's all about, you know, what you experience in life and the people you meet and, you know, just mm. to have those opportunities to see this one thing at one time. I have to say one of the most unique experiences I've ever had was, you know, just unart related, but just the right there at the right time kind of thing is I was in Paris in 2009. I just flown in from Rome. I'm in a taxi at a stoplight. And I look over, and I see a woman with two heads. And one head looks at me, and then the other head looks at me. Oh, my God. I'm like, wow. And then right then, the taxi pulls away. <laughs> I just saw a woman with two heads. And I looked her up, and I found out, sure enough, it's a woman. At the time, she was like a late teenage year. I, I noticed these other young ladies around her kind of look similar and sure enough there I, I don't remember her name but right. there was a woman she's american she has two heads like very Siamese identical twin heads. kind of thing yeah and at the time uh one head had the natural blonde hair and the other one had colored it so i oh, distinctly wow. remember both heads having two different Colored hair. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's one of those things that you know, <laughs> just the timing and the car and then <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> that's amazing. 
That's amazing. I don't know. I feel like you attract that sort of thing somehow. You know, you just, yeah. I think maybe something, I don't know. You, you, you've been, it's weird to say you've been blessed because you had, it sounds like you had a, a, a kind of a difficult childhood in a lot of ways or not, not an ideal childhood. Not that many of us had, but I mean, it sounded pretty, yeah. you know, and, you know, and very, it's, you know, it's very relevant to the current political environment because so much of my family were, are such Trump lovers Wow! And to know that, uh, you know, I chose not to be a part of that or yeah. just, to experience the level of political divide nowadays, you know, it's such a such a challenge, and you know, it's it's such a hard thing to like. You know, we're not always blessed with the experiences that you know some of us get to have, and you know, it's it's hard to think that here I am starting my own family, but yet. I've been completely ostracized from my family I came from. Right. To think that, um, you know, to to deal with loss, but yet all these beautiful, wonderful things as well. Yeah. It's, it's really, you know, that's life, man. <laughs> well, it's amazing. It's amazing that you've done that. It's really the, you know, it's like a heroic thing to come out of that and then have like, an amazing career making amazing art that's adding amazing something amazing to the world and then having a family and raising kids and not making sure they don't go through what you went through. It's like, you know, you were like a mutation. It's like, you were like a mutation sort of, you know, you didn't, you, you say you, you could have gotten wrapped up in that path, but I can't imagine you being that way. You know, yeah, it's, it's almost it's, like you, you know, there's part of you that was like, I can't, I can't do this. Yeah. And that's like that, that weird mutation that happens, you know, this little twist of something in your brain that makes you not follow, not follow, you know, every, cause most people kind of, they, they do with their, how they were raised. That's how the, that's the way yeah. they go their whole yeah. life, you know? But it's, it's hard at the same time having empathetic view of it, you know, like, you know, I wish I could have some influence on my family in that sense mm -hmm. without resistance. But it's almost at the same time, like, uh, you know, is it worth trying to, you know, cause that upheaval just to right. get that? You know, is it worth, you know? Or will it even, is it even possible? Yeah. I mean, that, that it goes. It doesn't even to, seem possible nowadays, really. Yeah. That goes back to the social media thing and, mm -hmm. and you know, the, uh, the false realities there. Yeah. But, but, you know, just to have come from that and to see their perspective and understand them, like, you know, I get it. But... Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> you must have a different perspective on. I Because, I mean, I was talking to my wife the other day. It's like, I cannot figure, I can't understand it. I feel like I can't understand what's going on now. It's like, I don't, like anybody, anybody that would, you know, I have been very non-political on the show. I don't really want to get into politics because I know people hate it because I hate it. I hate seeing it. But I have to just say this, just because of this uh, unique position you're in to be able to understand that. 
Like if if I saw my guy up there blatantly doing like the most heinous shit, the you know, being a total asshole. I mean, these are just like common sense things you're raised. Don't be a total asshole to people. Acting like an asshole, lying and getting caught repeatedly over and over. I I feel like I couldn't I couldn't keep cheering, you know. Maybe I would be like, "Eh, okay, he's he's getting an agenda I agree with." But I wouldn't be like, yeah, he's fucking great. I love it when he's a total asshole. I love it when he's just fucking lying constantly. I don't understand that. I can't. It completely blows my mind. I don't know how to comprehend it. So maybe you can help me. (laughs) I, I think it has to do with, you know, we as humans by nature should always be bettering ourselves. We should always strive to be better people. Mm-hmm. When something like this happens, someone of big significance tells you, oh, no, you don't. You just be your laziest, <laughs> you know, self that you can be, and it's okay. All right. Because all those things, that's all comfort. That's interesting, yeah. And people will defend their comfort zone to whatever means, beyond logical means, beyond family respectful, friend respectful boundaries, because they've somehow made up this thing that they're under attack. Right. You know, it's, people want to, you know, calibrate themselves against others. If I can see that they're being oppressed, then I'm feeling better as long as oppressed. And, that's the sad part of it because that's complete illusion. Right. You, know, you can't, you can't, you know, judge yourself against somebody else in that sense because it's just all made up story. Right. As my grandmother would say, that's all make believe. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of perfect. <laughs> that's a deep thing. It's funny. It's like, there's probably an off offhanded comment. A real, it was like, a simple way of her just kind of like under, trying to, you know, just her commentary. She'd just, on, she'd just bring me back to reality. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh boy, Chris, he's, he's, uh, he's in trouble there. He's getting too wrapped up in his fantasy world. Yeah, but it's so, it's so, <laughs> it so applies though now, especially in this situation. It's all, it's just, it's just make believe. Yeah. Hilarious. Well, okay. Listen, I know you got to go soon, but I, I wanted to get into this before I let you go. Um, I, I'm a total uh, process technical freak. I love hearing about process and and stuff. So, I just wanted to get at least a little bit before before we end the podcast of your um, your your technique for these sculptures. I mean, are you like, do you draw them out? Do you just like get a bunch of stuff and start arranging it? You know, how planned out is it? How improvisational is it? How are you gluing things down to where they don't break? You know, stuff like that. I'm kind of curious about yeah. if you're open to, to sharing that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there's a phrase in the whole model building world it's called kit bashing. Kit bashing, yep. So combining kits with other kits. So in that sense, that's what I'm doing. And then the word assemblage, you know, uh, as little as a word that is, hopefully that encompasses, you know, what the process is. But – 
It's true. I never yeah. thought of it as assemblage, but it's it is. It's just a, yeah. like a totally different. It's different because all of the pieces are kind of, or most of the pieces are are of a certain. You know, they're all model parts, basically, yeah. which makes it kind of I, different. Yeah, I, I view it in different ways. It's kind of like, um, you know, the, the the mental state of being a hoarder, you know. <laughs> you know, mental illness meets fine art. <laughs> I love it. I have constant struggles with myself being a hoarder of things. Same here, man. <laughs> 80% of the things that I have will never make it into a piece. But yet, I need this spectrum of things to make this. Yep. And so, I'll start with a kind of central idea or object or something. Like, this thing behind me is a, is a cat. Like, I've never made a house cat-centered piece, and I'm very excited. Yeah, because it's so cool. It's out of my comfort zone. and It looks amazing. Yeah. But it's all about taking this shape that's been mass-produced. You know, it's, it's a product. Mm -hmm. And I correct it. So, you know, the tail I didn't like on this cat the way it was, so I moved it. I had a oh. call, giving him a little tiara. You know, I'm, I'm replacing its original identity with something else. I'm adding, I'm subtracting, I'm hacking it, I'm remixing it. You know, so much in our culture today is about remixing things. And so, you know, the artist comes out with their single, then like five other people right. make the remix, you know, and like, oh, I'd like to remix more, you know. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, that's a, I, see, I never thought, I, I've always judged your work from the perspective of it just looks amazing. It just looks cool, you know, not kind of you know sort of superficially in that way but that's kind of how i am it's like something either i like it or i don't and i just you know it just makes me feel good or it doesn't and yeah. you know obviously there's the the church pieces and stuff where there's like oh i could see you know there, there's a kind of a political meaning here but um that angle of you know re you know it's very kind of like uh almost pop art in a way like Warholian yeah. where you're taking something that's mass produced and you're turning it into some amazing Baroque art piece where it was like a dumb cake decoration before, or an army man, some kids, goofy kids thing. And you're turning uh, it into this like amazing thing, which is, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's awesome conceptually from a, like a, a, yeah. a conceptual level. And I could see why maybe, maybe that's part of the reason you're able to be embraced by the, um, that high-end art world because they see that in it, you know, because that's kind of yeah. high art. That's kind of very high concept. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. And I think also I had this, I had this wonderful art instructor, my painting teacher, and he would never ever talk about subject matter with what you were doing. He would only talk about if it looked good design wise. Hmm. And so, you know, and I thought about that heavily where, you know, so many great works of art from any cultural context. So if you're from the middle of nowhere in the jungle and you look at a Da Vinci, you admire it because it has good intrinsic qualities of design. You may not understand it in a cultural context or get into what the piece is really saying, but, you know, if you can 
capture that visually, then you know you've gotten this much of the audience. Right. This much of the audience will appreciate the subject matter. This much will be, you know, complete avid followers for the rest of your career. You know, mm-hmm, yeah. Thing. So, yeah, it's like that fine line of, you know, mental health meets refinement, bringing <laughs> together. And you know, always I would hear this comment about like. You know, when you buy art, you don't buy a product, you buy experience. Mm, right. So people would look at my work and just think like, wow, like this guy did this for so many hours, thinking of this and putting this all together. And wow, you know, it's, it's like, um, yeah, they, they, they want a part of that and right. just have it on their wall. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's that delving into those different worlds and bringing them together, bringing something that, you know, that look of the old world, putting them into the modern world. Like I'm really fascinated with time, mm-hmm. all time into one. Yeah. It's, it's, <clears throat> it's just, you know, it's just, I feel kind of dumb because the more I think about it, the more I'm like, it's fucking brilliant. Like on a conceptual level, it's really it's brilliant. So that's amazing. That's amazing. Oh, thank awesome. you. It's yeah, very much. It makes, it makes sense though. Uh, cause yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know. Very inspiring and, um, just amazing, beautiful work. I love it. And, uh, we're all proud of you. We're all proud of you down here, down here in the, uh, <laughs> in the trenches. <laughs> I know you're in your own trenches. I'm just kind of making a joke, but we're all like, I think, you know, I feel like I'm rooting for you and we're all kind of rooting for you. Like, like I said, one of us that kind of made it almost like someone from the punk scene that, that gets a major label deal and maintains their integrity and like, or like Nirvana or something, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Then changes the whole thing, you know? So that's, that's, that's yeah. cool. I, I'm a, uh... well, we'll have to talk sometime about, uh, all the near misses and, Oh Yeah career like uh i think that's worth its own other podcast i I, I was yeah no i was thinking um because i know you have to go and take your kids to school but i was thinking uh that i could go another couple hours probably easily talking to you so um i was my first impulse was to ask you to do it have another do another podcast episode if you're down for it because there's a lot of stuff i want to talk to you about (laughs) yeah there's a lot of other just you know, interesting uh, things just, you know, on a personal level, what, you know, had fed into the work and, yeah. you know, so just the the technical side of I, doing yeah. something like, you know, you know, the art of composing, you know, how is artists, how do we compose something? You know, it's much like music, like mm-hmm. the right placement of things and, you know, it's, it's just something to really geek out on. I oh, think. yeah, yeah. So yeah it's, it's the that's, right... what I admire. that's what I admire, admire about your work is you have this sick technique, but you've got this simplicity, but you've seen so much in just, you know, in that part of it. And so I, I really always appreciated your work and just the journey it goes in and oh, thanks. The, the personality in it. So Yeah, yeah. thanks. Yeah, I'm trying to take the... 
you know, uh, the, you know, it's like all my concepts come after the fact. I'm just really trying to enjoy myself and do something that I think is cool. And then it's like you kind of come up with the your uh, your your um, artist statement, and you start. I always want to. I always want to ask you. Um, like this goes back to Strict Nine because I think you were in that studio before I was, but there was a number five on the wall. And I, I don't know if I ever asked you about oh, oh in white the white the White Chapel one or the uh, or the Berlin the the London. Uh, yeah, was in, I think it was in Berlin. You had put the number five on there, and I noticed it in some of your paintings as well. I I don't know if I did. I put did I put the five on the gallery? Uh, in the in the little side studio that they had there. Oh, I pro- it probably was me. <laughs> I, I forgot. Yeah, because I do put yeah. that in all my. Uh, it's my it's my spiritual number is what oh. it is. So I put it like in everything. It was my number. Don't forget that you learned all this cool stuff when I was like nineteen or I don't know, whenever nineteen eighty seven was, where I had my big psychedelic experience and spiritual awakening. It was. Oh wow! Yeah, I had I got the symbol and I got it tattooed, so I would not forget what I learned and, and <laughs> don't, don't go back to being a, a dumb dummy. Basically. <laughs> that's worth the whole other podcast. Too. Exactly. That's what I mean. I know that you're, you know, you've, you're, you're connected. So, um, yeah. So, so I'm going to hit you up in the future and, and ask you to come on again. If you're cool with that. Yeah. You bet. Let's awesome. do it. Well, thank you. That was a really fun conversation. I appreciate you taking yeah. the time. Um, yeah, and uh, I mean, not that you need it, but is there anything that you want to promote or anything at the end here? Uh, no, I just thank you all for being such fans and supporters. I really, really appreciate you. Um, yeah, I wish we were able to be more connected in the world right now, but you know, I want to thank Chet for putting this podcast together, and it's been a wonderful experience, and really appreciate it. Awesome, man. All right. Well, that's a, that's a great, uh, outgoing message. So as, as, as what's become, um, tradition on this podcast, we say goodbye to the audience. So say goodbye audience. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye audience.